And we begin with breaking news this hour about the Kokovka Dam in Ukraine. It was breached, leading to mass flooding and evacuations. Well, now scientists from Norway say that seismic signals detected in Romania suggest there was an explosion in the area at the same time that water began flowing downstream. Questions have been asked as to whether the explosion caused the breach or whether previous damage had simply weakened the structure. Well, let's go straight to our diplomatic correspondent, Paul Adams, who is in the uh, Ukrainian capital, Kyiv. And uh, Paul, it is hard to know uh, the exact details, but we're starting to get more evidence now, aren't we, about what could have caused this catastrophic failure of the dam? Yes, I think the one thing we can say with some confidence now is that it was clearly an event which occurred at 2.54 in the early hours of Tuesday morning. The uh, seismic uh, readings that were detected around 400 miles away in Romania indicate that this was a very, very large explosion. They describe it as between one or two magnitude. They're, they're still working on the data. They haven't translated that magnitude into a kind of calculation as to how much explosives that would require. That is quite technical work. But it is clear that that explosion, which they identify within a uh, less than 20-mile radius of the dam at Novokakovka, was a very, very large explosion. We're probably talking about tons of explosives. So I think that, I, to my way of thinking, that establishes that what caused this breach, because that is exactly the time when local reports started talking about this catastrophic breach, we now know that it was the result of a major explosion. Now, of course, does that tell you who did it? No. But the, the, the dam and the adjacent hydroelectric plant were controlled by Russia. The explosion, we believe, or the breach, we believe, came from the end of the dam adjacent to the hydroelectric station. The Ukrainians had been arguing since last April that the Russians had mined the dam. And this morning, Ukraine's internal domestic security service released what they say, we cannot verify this, but they say as a recording of two Russian military figures discussing the demolition of the dam by a Russian sabotage group. They say that the two men, or at least one of the men, observes that it was designed to frighten the Ukrainians not necessarily to destroy the dam completely. Uh, it's worth remembering that this is on a front line and that uh, at various areas along that front line, the Ukrainians had shown some interest in trying to cross the river Dnipro. And so from a purely military point of view, uh, it, there may have been some incentive for Russia to warn off Ukraine uh, about any, pos possible, uh, any prospect of a river crossing. So, it's, if you like, it's an accumulation of evidence that really does point the finger very strongly in the direction of Russia being responsible. Um, and, Paul, while all of those uh, questions uh, seek answers, there is a humanitarian crisis that is unfolding too. We were just looking at images of drones trying to drop water to people who were still trapped in those floodwaters. What can you tell us about rescue efforts there, particularly because there are reports those efforts to get people out have been hindered themselves by artillery fire on the people that were trying to evacuate? Well, again, remember, this is a city, Kherson, that is also on that front line, albeit now 
a rather broad front line due to the enormous flooding down the river. Uh, Kherson has been shelled ever since the Ukrainians took it back in November. So in, in one sense, what we're seeing and what we've seen throughout the week is not particularly different from what we had seen before uh, the dam burst. But certainly rescue workers in Kherson who are still plucking people from uh, waterlogged homes uh, report that they believe that they are coming under fire. Some of that, those, uh, that fire is being, are exchanges of gunfire with you know, artillery being fired in both directions. Uh, but they, they, they do sense that at times they have been targeted. You mentioned getting water to people. That is probably top of the list of things that the Ukrainian authorities are wrestling with now because the dam and the reservoir behind it uh, was at the heart of uh, Ukraine's uh, water supply system in the whole of that area of southern Ukraine. So in terms of agriculture, but also in terms of the provision of clean water to hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of Ukrainian civilians in towns and cities, not even adjacent to the river, but quite some distance from it, uh, all of that has been jeopardized and thrown into, into question by the events of uh, Tuesday morning. So water is the number one preoccupation, particularly as it's hot. Uh, Kherson is still flooded with filthy, polluted water, and there's a real danger of disease. Paul, for now, thank you. It's good to talk to you. Paul Adams there, our correspondent live in Kyiv. Well, let's take you to the areas outside of the capital. We can speak to our presenter, Yolda Hakim, who is travelling in Ukraine. And Yolda, what are you seeing where you are? Ben, I know the, the line isn't great because we are on the move uh, coming in from uh, western Ukraine. We're heading towards Kyiv at the moment. but. Uh... 12 hours in total. Uh, we came in from NATO territory from Poland uh, overnight and uh, we came through Lviv, uh, which is a place that I was at uh, just over a year ago when this war broke out. And changed a lot. There were massive queues at the border a year ago with women and children trying to flee the country. And of course, martial law remains in this country. Men weren't allowed to leave the country at the time and, and they still can't go. And of course, uh, you heard Paul there talk about the humanitarian crisis in the east of the country where uh, the uh, dam has been breached and the impact of that. But life is very different here in the west of Ukraine. Life continues as normal. We are seeing military vehicles, lorries uh, passing, coming over from NATO territory into Ukraine, supplying this country with the military equipment and hardware it needs as it begins its counteroffensive. Uh, but when you look out the window, life here is as normal as it would appear anywhere else in the world. You wouldn't think that we are currently in a conflict zone when you come through the west of the country. Yes, and Yolda, um, the line holding up for now, so I want to speak to you while we can. Um, and I know you're going to be doing a lot of reporting in the coming days, but you touched there on that much-touted spring offensive, now the summer offensive, that counter-offensive from Ukrainian forces. Uh, lots of suggestions that is focused right now in a very specific area. But what sense are you getting of what people know about what is going on in different parts of the country right now? As you say, Ben, uh, the spring offensive now becoming the, the summer offensive was much heralded, much talked about for many months. You and I have spent time speaking with Ukrainian officials, uh, military experts who have talked about this counteroffensive. And 
the Ukrainians themselves, the military officials, have kept their cards close to their chest. They don't want to talk about it. In fact, they launched a, a, a little campaign, a video, a few days ago, where they had uh, their military officials had their their fingers to their mouths, almost shushing people to say, "Stop talking about this uh, counteroffensive." That this won't be some kind of blow of a whistle to say that it has begun. They are focusing on the east of the country, as you say, the epicenter is now the east in places like Zaporizhia, uh, for example, and we know that Zaporizhia, the nuclear power plant is there and has been the front line for a long time since this conflict has begun. Of course, we're seeing things developed in Kherson as well. So. The Ukrainian officials themselves are keeping their cards close to their chest, but they are trying to make this uh, a very targeted, very specific uh, counteroffensive without it being some kind of in other conflicts in other parts of the world. Many people uh, liken it to the war. It was a description of a, a shock and awe attack. We're not going to see that here uh, in Ukraine as we uh, launch into this counteroffensive, begin reporting on it, um, and then obviously it'll turn into a summer offensive. They do have a small window, a window of about three months uh, before the winter kicks in. So the Ukrainians are trying to push back the Russian forces as much as possible before they get into those sort of October, November months, and it gets much colder, much harder to fight. Yolda, it's really good to have you with us on the programme uh, and I know you'll be reporting uh, extensively from there so we will let you go for now but thank you. That's our presenter there, Yolda Hakim, uh, joining us live from Western Ukraine. Uh, so um, Yolda talking us through some of what we know so far. Let's just put a bit of that into context for you and show you where on the map this fighting is beginning once again. Russian officials say that Ukrainian attacks in the key southern region of Zaporizhia are continuing. That's amid reports of heavy fighting there. Several military experts have said the area will now be the focus of Ukraine's long-awaited counteroffensive. The government in Kyiv is deliberately saying very little about those plans. Well, Zaporizhia is in Ukrainian control, but much of the region, which is highlighted here in bold, is occupied by Russian forces. What Ukraine wants to do now is tear down uh, some of those positions it holds in the north of Zaporizhia region, down through Russian-controlled territory towards the Sea of Azov, giving them access to Crimea. So it is here that Russian forces are concentrated. They are deeply embedded. They've been building fortifications for months, creating very elaborate defences and laying mines uh, with Tokmak, which you can see in the centre of your screens being particularly well fortified by the Russians. So that is the overview. Uh, let's talk some more about that uh, and where all of this leaves the country. We can speak now to Kia Giles, who's a senior consulting fellow for Russia and Eurasia program at the think tank, tank Chatham House. Uh, it's good to have you with us, Kia. Um, we've touched on some of those issues there. We've looked at the map. What is your assessment right now of the state of this counteroffensive and where the fighting will be most heavily focused? Well, it's worth bearing in mind we've just heard two very different things from your correspondent and your intro just then. First, that we don't actually know where the main thrust of the offensive is to be, and then you laid out very confidently exactly where it's going. Uh, the problem is, at this point, it is still probing and shaping and figuring out exactly where the weak points of Russia's defenses are. There isn't the overall shape of the campaign actually yet becoming clear. 
We can make some educated guesses as to what Ukraine might actually want to achieve. But as your correspondent says, their campaign of operational security, of keeping everything silent, has been very successful. And let's not forget, that was a key element in the success of Ukraine's offensive last autumn when they liberated vast areas from Russian occupation. Now, they've been careful to manage expectations on this occasion and not say that the Russian army is going to collapse and they're going to push forward and liberate the whole of Ukraine. But it will become clear when this campaign has developed a little further where the main effort is actually going to be made. Yes, and you're quite right to point out that reporting from the front line is very difficult and it's hard to know exactly what is going on right now. The reports that we do get may be coming a little later than the actual activity. Um, quickly for us, if you will, because time is tight, but how difficult will all of this be for Ukraine, given what we've said about the, uh, the heavily fortified defences of Russian troops? Of course, it's been immensely frustrating for Ukraine and for its supporters to watch Russia building up its defenses while Ukraine's Western backers dithered and delayed over preparing the, providing the weapon systems that Ukraine needed to push forward. But Ukraine says it is ready. And of course, it has it all of this time to plan and prepare for its operations and make the best use of those additional equipment and training that the West has actually provided on top of its own capabilities. So we can be in little doubt that they will know best where they can actually push forward and make uh -huh. the maximum possible gains.